0: Culture eats strategy for lunch and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. With us today is Julia, a professor at NYU Wagner. She has authored or edited a dozen books and has a resume with awards, fellowships, and awe-inspiring work history that you may read more about on julialane.org. Her most recent book on democratizing data is available from MIT Press. It's an understatement to say we are both excited and humbled to have her on today. Welcome, Julia.
1: Lovely to be here.
0: So, Julia, we met through Adam Leonard. And Adam, um, you and Adam have done some very interesting work together. Um, and so there's a whole plethora of avenues that we could explore on both what you, what you know, what you love to talk about. But there is a particular burning topic, one that you have gone so far as to create a certificate course at NYU over, uh, and that is on data literacy. So out of all these many books that you've published, this, this career that you have, the, all the different topics, this is the, the, the biggest one that you're on today. Where does this story begin for you? Why the focus on data literacy recently?
1: That's a great question. And I should say, the, the, it's a really interesting executive certificate. It's, it's the, the first one of its kind. It's on data literacy and evidence building. And it's joint with the public policy school at NYU, Wagner, and then also the information science school at University of Maryland. And what we're hoping to do is to turn this into a national program joint with public policy and data science schools across the country. So, if anyone who is listening to this, that here the goal is, is to create, if you like, like an ag extension program for federal, state, and local government agencies and people who work for public policy and evidence and partner with their local universities to build similar executive ed programs so everything's open source everything's reproducible and so we're we're really excited about the about the project so and I'll talk a little bit more at the end about how yeah. people can sign up so let, let's keep them listening for a little bit so yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, it's, it's wonder there's so much on that program itself. That is amazing because of all the collaborators you've had on it, the vision you've had it for. It. So yes, we will absolutely come back to that. But then there's the origin story piece. Yeah. that's so interesting here as well.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So, so I'm an economist by training. I, mm-hmm. I ne- kind of a little bit like you said, I'd never started out going into, into, into data, but seemed to have ended up there. I, I, so the origin story is I have, as, as you know from looking at the website, spent most of my career building large-scale public data infrastructures like the LEHD program at the Census Bureau, Patents View at USPTO, and uh, Umetrics at the Institute for Research and Innovation and Science, plus the integrated data infrastructure in Statistics New Zealand, which is my home country. Um, yay! And if you're a, <laughs> if you're a, a rugby fan, I, I I need hardly mention the All Blacks. So, but anyway.
0: Oh, it's funny you mentioned. It. I've got that's the one mug I have from New Zealand is an All Blacks mug. Oh,
1: was that right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I am tempted to do a haka, but I don't think your podcast <laughs> listeners would be particularly <laughs> interested. But if you get a chance to look at the All Blacks doing a haka, Google it and, and watch it. It's 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 fantastic. Anyway. Back to the to the storyline, so so here's here I was in a dusty little corner of the world, just building public data infrastructures and kind of giving them away, right? So so that mm-hmm. seems to have been what, what my academic career has been about, and uh, or I guess the the interest in data became. Kind of overtook the world, right? There was this tsunami of interest. You kept hearing words like "data is the new oil," right? Mm-hmm. And 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 what happened was, I I worked a lot with the with the Census Bureau, and a good friend of mine was the deputy director at Census. She was had come from being undersecretary at Commerce. Her name's Nancy Potok, and she was trying to develop ways in which the census bureau which is a major data agency in the federal government how she could get them pe- the staff to adopt new technologies and think about how to use new data in their day-to-day work right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so they they sent people to like coding classes to go and learn how to code and how to use it, python and and so on oh wow and what they'd do is they'd go and off and learn it and then they'd come back and they'd go back to doing the same old, same old. Because like in any organization, you've got stuff to produce. You're going to do the way that you've always done it. It's very, very hard to change culture. And she said, uh, she came to me and and, uh, and John Thompson, who was the former director of the Census Bureau, and we talked about how do you change a culture within, within the agency? And if I can tell a a little side story, you know, it's... uh,
0: I have to imagine there's going to be a side story because how to change a culture is just not a coffee (laughs) chat. It's
1: not a (laughs) coffee chat. So it's like, you know, really what you want to do is you want to get people to learn how to use different types of data and different tools to do their regular work better, not just train them as a carbuncle on the outside, right? Right. Mm-hmm. How, you need to integrate it into their workflow. And that sounds like it's obvious, but it's not. And it's really hard to do.
0: So I have that observation frequently. And I love the car. I wrote that carbuncle on the outside because the carbuncle on the outside of the ship doesn't know where the ship is going.
1: Exactly. That's a great analogy. And, you know, <clears throat> I have three kids. I've got one, two, and then little, oh no. (laughs) And and she she knows this, so I hope she even if she listens, she'll she knows this is the case. When she was in high school, did not like statistics and finance. It was the last thing she Mm -hmm. ever wanted to do. And she went into hotel management and she found that she needed to use finance and statistics in order to run The organization. So it wasn't this abstract reusing the term carbuncle on the outside of her existence. Mm -hmm. It became integral to her existence. And now she loves it because it helps her do her job better. So the way in which this started was Nancy and John and I talked about how do you develop a training program that teaches people in the organization how to do their jobs better using the new tools and data. Mm-hmm. And that is what we started doing. Go well, ahead. an
0: interesting question related to that, because doing analytics or some, getting better at certain things can almost feel better at getting at being better at ceremony or, or at religion, right? Because if I don't see the output of me being better, and that's one reason why Lee and I talk a lot on these podcasts about like the decision culture or the the output, or as you mentioned, the product output, right? Making better products or products that have value. Because if I can't tie me being better at something to what it does, then I'm not sure why I did it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and I think that's why Adam uh, connected us uh, because yeah. <laughs> we're we're so similar in our thinking on this. So. What we did was we decided to develop these applied data analytics classes okay. that were designed to train people on how to do some of the basic functions that created value for them in their job. That's that's the simple thing, and created value for the organization. Because if unless you've got value embedded in it, it's an abstract concept. I'm an economist, so I always think about the value proposition. So what I did was um, I had worked at the University of Chicago at at Nork, and it turned out there was a bunch of computer scientists there who were thinking along the same lines. In particular, Mm. a a guy called Raid Ghani, who was actually President Obama's chief data scientist during the um, uh, 2012 election campaign. And he also had been developing this data science for the social good program. He's since moved to Carnegie Mellon. But we sat down, went up to Chicago, sat down, and we designed a class that was based along the core things that people have to do to produce a product that has value within their organization. So what do the, what does that involve? It involves, first of all, knowing what it is you're going to produce that's going to create value. So scoping, standing Mm -hmm. back and scoping and saying, okay, what are we trying to do here? Then what data do we have at hand? Is it fit for purpose? If it's not, how do I link additional data sets or combine data? How do I measure what's needed to be measured? How Mm -hmm. do I figure out what's missing? How do I do analysis that makes sense out of it? How can I make the right inference and how can I communicate it? So, you know, you all know that great Tufty picture of the the space shuttle Challenger. The engineers had figured out what the problem was that if O-rings got too cold, it was likely that the Challenger would explode they actually Mm -hmm. put it in a PowerPoint graph and they had a visual that described what the issue was and they presented it to the decision makers. So they had done all the data work, they'd figured Mm -hmm. out the inference, they'd done all the things I just talked about, but that last little step, they failed because the picture was, or the graph was so difficult to understand, the decision makers didn't get the information storytelling
0: Every, is so yeah. hard
1: storytelling is hard and so it's, so you know people think that oh it's just a matter of coding and that's why it, it is not it is thinking scoping value measurement inference analysis communication and then the last piece is to step back and think about bias and ethics so that's the that's the kind of structure that we developed And I'll talk in a minute uh, about how that simple idea turned into this massive effort that, that I think has captured a lot of people's attention.
0: Well, don't undersell that, though. In saying that it's a simple idea, that's really the beautiful thing about wonderful ideas is that they seem simple in retrospect, Right. You are a professor, so you see people learning this for the first time because they have yet to be exposed to these ideas or have been out in the world enough potentially to have these understandings and to to be able to anchor the things that you just said to why they are needed. But then, you know, those of us who, who have and, and work in careers and, and or maybe those who are coming to school and have that experience, they might anchor to what you're saying right away and understand, oh my gosh, that's why that didn't work. But again those those learning sounds simple, yet we write books and teach classes on them because they're important, and they are hard to learn on your own, unguided and so there is a series of either experiments or conversations or failures that led um you know you and Raheed to come up with the, that as the starting point right. It sounds simple in retrospect to say start with value and start with what, you know, and, and maybe that's easier for those with an economic mindset. Maybe it's easier for those with a philosophical mindset. But I am surprised by the number of times that people forget to, uh, as as we one way I put it, is leave the customer out of the room or leave the value out of the room. Because we just love to be busy doing things, and so it's it's like I I you know like there's some people have a certain anxiety not having a checklist in the morning, and so then they will want to put everything on the checklist. But the first bullet point was the most important. It's like, why am I doing these things?
1: That that's absolutely true, and of course, people will come into the class and they they know I teach machine learning. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I want to estimate a machine learning model, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> You've got to think about your theory of change, what your questions are, and so on. So we actually mm-hmm. don't get to that to the very end. And they they just want to run something just so they can say, oh, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be busy doing a random forest <laughs> or a, a whatever. But the second key insight that we had was you're not going to work with pretend data. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because the idea here was to teach people how to work with something that creates value and that is of interest to them, we would actually build it around actual data which has all the messiness and ugliness of data, which we typically don't teach. We don't, we don't teach it in public policy schools or in uh, most um, most formal training programs. It is Mm -hmm. with toy data. It might be with three, that that really are not designed to help answer a question of interest to the people who are doing the work. So that was the second key point. The first was building a a curriculum that kind of made sense, that taught the skills Mm -hmm. that needed to be taught. And the second was hands-on work with real data
0: and um yeah so it's it's um yeah. that applicability right like if if, you're, if your goal is that somebody can go back to the org that they're in and provide value for themselves and value for the organization well how do you get them closer to doing that and so so you, you and others identified like we we need people to use real data otherwise they're not going to understand you know the the follies of how this stuff is collected or how it's made or anything else they won't they won't they will struggle on the first contact with the with the real world instance
1: that's exactly right so um you know what we often refer to what we're doing is is as an innovation sandbox so what what's actually come out of these we we started off doing the one for the census bureau and then they got They said, can you do another one? So we did one for the federal statistical agencies more broadly. So there were three of us by by the end of which was um, Frauke Kreuter from the University of Maryland. So she and I and Raeed did the the third one in the series. So they were super successful and um, we we, we really enjoyed doing them. And then what happened in the arc of this narrative was – there was this uh, push towards evidence-based policymaking. Now, here we were mm-hmm. really doing the embryonic data literacy stuff. Uh, it, it was 2013, I think, 2014, 2015 when we were doing this. And, and so it was really data literacy. We were some of the first people to use Jupyter Notebooks. Uh, Raid and uh, new um, Brian Granger who had developed them. And then I got to be friends with Brian. And so we used they were called IPython notebooks back then, and the great piece of that was, it was reusable code that was documented mm-hmm. and that was clear. It was a computational narrative, and and so it was like the timing was right for everything. Right then, then what happened was there was this push for evidence based policy making. So the Commission on Evidence Based Policy Making was um, established and uh, Office of Management Budget funded the Census Bureau, to support the decision-making of the commission. Essentially, the mm-hmm. idea there was we have all these new types of data. Surveys are probably diminishing in their value for mm-hmm. decision-making. They're expensive and slow and um, and quite rigid.
0: But you all came along. At, you and others have been laying groundwork for, saw the need before this major act came about that then underlined all the work that you'd already been doing. So it's, it's almost like that, that right place and right idea.
1: Well, I, I think a lot of the um, commission work was inspired by some of the work that we'd been doing mm. uh, with building the LEHD program at the census bureau. because And the, the statistics, New Zealand work and so on. And the work that Bruce Meyer had been doing. So, It was in the air working with administrative data. So partly because I'd been doing so much work, Census then asked me, could I build a secure environment to inform the decision-making of the commission? A couple of years before, there had been something set up in the United Kingdom called the Administrative Data Research Network. So the same idea Mm -hmm. in the UK. And I'd chaired their IT security uh, committee. And so they'd spent 38 million pounds putting together a secure environment. They decided they needed administrative data, which is data used for the administration of government programs like TANF or SNAP or wage records or so on, justice data. And so they built, spent 38 million pounds putting a big secure environment together, getting all the agent ministries involved. But at the end of the day, no one, it failed largely, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, certainly in England, because the ministries didn't really see the value of it. So learning from that failure, what I felt that we needed to do with building a secure environment was also create a value proposition. So how do you create a value proposition? Well, you know, the traditional Washington approach is to sit around conference tables and figure out what's good for the rest of the country and then do it.
0: <laughs> well, and, a- but that's a very interesting, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I very, I'm going to ask a question as you go into this on how to create a value proposition, because I know that is very challenging, even in the corporate side of things, right, when you have an entity that has finite sets of purposes and finite players. And then now you're talking about at a government, federal government level, where almost everybody can tenably say that they have a stake in the game, how do you do that?
1: <laughs> well, that 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 was the issue, and so yeah, it, again, it was like a convergence of mm-hmm. possibilities here because we'd been running these classes, and when I built LEHD, was using administrative records to develop information about the jobs that people had, Mm -hmm. Uh, what I'd done was I'd gone to every state in the country almost to find out what's the value, how would you use this? And so much of the energy came out of the states, the state labor market information offices, where they said, Mm -hmm. if we had information about very local, timely, and actionable data on the hires and separations and earnings and location, we could inform workforce boards, we could help with emergency management. So they they came up with a whole bunch of ideas. So I thought, what about the way in which we created value was we empowered the states and people in state and local governments who really understand on the ground what the value proposition might be and what about if we use the training classes as the mechanism for doing that so you get the senior managers to kind of put a high level goal and then mm-hmm. you'd get like the equivalent <clears throat> in the federal government is a branch chief you have people who really know what the problem is who currently have their sausage making production factory but you know, give them a little bit of time in this innovation sandbox to figure out how to do things a bit differently with people in their teams, and and let's let them loose in, in the training program. And that's what the core idea was, empower people, design the class to solve a question that was high value to the organization in question. And I'll give you an example in just a minute. And yeah. then let the people who know what they're doing and who understand the data let them rip.
0: That story arc could not be closer to what I've been wanting to do and what Leon like what what excites us about working with clients. Because it's not about that like one question or that one thing that you need to do. There's a number of things, and I don't know best what you should be doing. So it's more about the capability to do this and many things that I want to give you. You know, that that was a neat conclusion. I'll do a small plug for, and I'm going to get the title wrong, but the reimagining the labor market. And, And one of the conclusions in there was we have this wonderful structure in the United States of the states. Right where sure. they have their own purview and control, but also that wonderful tension you learn about microeconomics, macroeconomics is not all policies work in all places. So let them experiment, and then let the broader the broader market, i.e., in, in this case, the federal government learn from those experimentations. And so your your idea was the capability for many people to collaborate and pursue many things and see what we can learn on that.
1: That's exactly and the. <laughs> Chief Justice Louis Brandeis talked about the states as being the laboratories of democracy, right? So you could try different things and and, and see what works. And yes, that American Enterprise Institute piece on reimagining labor market information is precisely along those ideas. We have this very successful ag extension program where Mm -hmm. you design products depending on the state's uh, needs. So in Texas <laughs> yeah. it's cattle and in Wisconsin it's apples. I'm making this up, but you know yeah. and you have the same thing with, with weather. NOAA doesn't put out one national temperature once a month. Yeah. <laughs> and it, but and yet somehow the Bureau of Labour Statistics puts out one national unemployment statistic once a month. And really what you want is, as I said, local timely and actionable information. And who better to do that is the people who are actually having to make decisions and produce products that people can use.
0: Absolutely. When you have been working on this literacy program and this whole story arcs, you've been walking us through that evolution so far. What were those driving desires or motivations that you saw for people, whether they knew it themselves or not? What were you seeing as pushes from these individuals to engage in the things that you were building and doing?
1: So that's a great question. So, <laughs> so, so here I am. We're being asked to build the secure environment for the Evidence Act. I said we have to start with the value proposition. Mm-hmm. So one of the states that had been the leaders with the LEHD program was the state of Illinois. And Mm -hmm. so I reached out to colleagues who i stayed in touch with. Um, I said, are there any burning questions that you would like to have addressed with some kind of training class? And and there was. So Mm -hmm. here was the burning question. And it essentially pulls together four agencies. So the question was, what is the impact of access to jobs and neighborhood characteristics on the earnings and employment outcomes of welfare recipients and formerly incarcerated individuals and their subsequent recidivism and or retention on welfare. So really important question, right? And, but you need to bring together data from four different agencies, labor, criminal justice, human services, and housing. Now, how are you gonna do that? And you've got people in each of the agencies who know their own data, but don't know the other data. And so what we did, and this was a lot of heavy lifting and work, was we got the approvals from the agencies very quickly because this was something that was high on the governor's agenda. And the directors of the agencies were very motivated they were a fabulous crew. Uh, who, who, at the senior managers level, I can't say enough about the importance of those guys. And then they, uh, we designed the class with them and with the kind of the equivalent of the branch managers. And you know the questions I'm going to say are the same, regardless of what agency you're ever you're looking at. You've got to figure out. Ex- that's your high-level goal. How are you going to boil that down into something that's actionable? How are you mm-hmm. going to combine the data? How are you going to construct cohorts of individuals? So, Because you want to track mm-hmm. people over time. What's missing? So anyway, we did that, and it was a massive success. And over the past four or five years, we've trained over a 1,000 people from over 400 agencies, it's just been heartwarming, really, to to see yeah. what see what what can be done, and of course the questions just kept coming and expanding. Philanthropic foundations funding it. Kathy Stack from the Arnold Foundation funded the, that initial set, but then people mm-hmm. from Schmidt Futures, from the Calpin Foundation, from Sloan Foundation, and so on supported the development of a lot of these programs to answer questions that were of interest.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And that was the early version. Then there's a couple of stepping stones that go to to where then it finally becomes a program at at, um, NYU that, as you mentioned, you open and UMD, and because you've opened the, – the goal is, as you said, not to have it it owned by any one school or any one group. You want as many people, as many schools to own this so that more and more people get educated. When you ran this with Illinois, what's different about that first version to what you're doing today? Like what, what happened and what, you know, what did you use, learnings did you use to iterate to, to arrive at where you feel you have a more scalable program and offering today?
1: So there are a couple of things that, that enabled us to scale. So, so first of all, thanks to the philanthropic foundations, we were able to fine tune this to figure out how, how it should flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the big challenge, to be blunt, is uh, the business model. I'm an economist, right? You can't build a training infrastructure like this based on individuals going out and getting grants. So what you have to do Mm -hmm. is you have to build something that is uh, for a university, which is a business after all, Mm -hmm. how are they going to generate enough funding to support the provision of it? And then for the managers of the organization, what's the return on investment to sending people to this training how can we document that there is value? So mm-hmm. you kind of need to build a track record so that it makes it very clear what the value proposition is. Now, um, the, where we've been able to head on this, and it came out of the Advisory Committee for Data for Evidence Building, which was the second part of the, of the Evidence Act implementation, and I served on it as well, Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the potential to use synthetic data for training. So it's really important that people work hands-on with real data. That that is the advantage of having the administrative data research facility. But it's it's hard work to get permissions to get access and work on the actual data. So what we've been doing in conjunction with University of Maryland obviously, and the College Initiative of Kentucky STATS and Accenture is to develop synthetic data. So it's much easier for people to work with the data for training purposes, which has the same missingness, all the same sets of problems, but doesn't have the access restrictions that... Um, that the real data do now. Just to be clear, to do any kind of analysis, you have to have access to the real data. The synthetic data are not going to work for real analysis. But for the ability to um, work with the synthetic data means that you can have larger classes. Before we Mm -hmm. were constrained to 25, now we can double the size. Still have people work in teams, hands-on with group work and so on but the, the, the budget model is a lot more straightforward. So it, it, I think we've developed the sustainability. The second piece was, so one was the business model. The second mm-hmm. is the, the documentation of the value proposition. Because there were mm-hmm. two really important products that came out, an unemployment to reemployment portal, which was led by the state of Illinois, and a multi-state education to workforce dashboard, which was led by Kentucky and Ohio, that the states could adopt news and, and they could see, oh, my goodness, she's not just, or the, the, this whole vision was not just blah, blah, blah. There's actual products that can come out of it. So mm-hmm. that value is clear. So the business model is, is clear. The value proposition is clear, and that's, I think, why this uh, executive education certificate has become possible and scalable Mm -hmm. across the country.
0: It's the classic startup mentality, right? You you sought product market fit, found the early proofs of pain in the market, proved what needed to be done, and then built the product, iterated on the product until you got the right thing that scaled.
1: That's exactly it's, right, it's, except in the in the, – you're going to laugh at me, said, I yeah. I don't know. And my husband's like, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep building stuff and then just giving it away? <laughs> Other people in yeah. the private sector are making tens of millions from producing stuff and selling it. And here I am just yeah. kind of giving it away. And my husband's going, yeah. come on, Julia. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I well we we all have different motivations in life, right? Yeah. It, it just depends on what, you know, what it is that makes you get up in the morning or excites you to to learn and grow.
1: Making you a know. difference for the public good is appears to be what what matters to yeah.
0: me. <laughs> well, so then This has been a rousing success. There's a lot of interest. Every time I talk to some of my clients about this program, because I only recently discovered this program. And so I have been given all the passive, if you have the opportunity or have listened to any of our previous data literacy comes up a lot. Like Dorman Buzell, CDO of North Dakota, now data strategy practice leader at Capgemini, Ed Kelly, who was the chief data officer for the state of Texas, um, you know, now semi-retired, but still advising the state in various matters. Um, They all mention these things. Everybody understands the importance of um, I need to use information to do my job and I need to be better at understanding how I can use the information or even generate that analysis. And that's exactly what you focused on.
1: Well, and I've been thrilled to be partnering with Accenture on this. So Lan Guan and mm-hmm. Jimmy Priestess and, and Jared Dubin have been partnering on developing this training class. And I think mm-hmm. the basic idea is that the, the core elements that I outlined, obviously I'm interested in the public sector thing, but the potential to scale to multiple uh, other applications is, is, uh, is very real. And the nice thing is, uh, you know, universities, we tend to do the training and, and then that's it. But with Accenture involved, they're thinking about, uh, you know, how can we help move that to, to something that's implementable and scalable? So it's it's a good partnership.
0: Absolutely. There's a lot of paths to producing the value. You know, one of those is it's kind of back to, I was joking with a friend the other day, it's like the, the the million monkeys in a million years, right? If with no training and no understanding, you might luck into producing a poem, but with understanding and training, then you can actually get to that person. Then you have a higher likelihood of producing some value. That path is quicker if I understand better what I'm doing.
1: So that's a really important point. So, so one of the things that we did with the classes that I described, it was just dumb luck. You saw that we mm-hmm. kind of muddled our way through, <laughs> um, and it, you know, water runs downhill, so I just kind of followed where the water was flowing. Right? <laughs> I don't want to take any credit for, for just following the, the the river.
0: Yeah.
1: The but the, the what's been interesting is how how well things have developed, both with the state regional collaboratives. They now have a a format, they have a, with the National Association of Workforce Agencies, NASWA, and the State Higher Education Mm Offices SHIO, they have a Midwest, a Southern, and an Eastern Collaborative. And so what that means is they now can guide the design of the training programs in a very deliberate way. So that rather than the products being serendipitous, mm-hmm. it kind of coming out of this innovation sandbox, they can be more deliberate and, uh, and, and identified. So now we understand the process a bit more. So now we mm-hmm. can be more um, mindful about how to create the value proposition because people understand the process a bit more now.
0: Oh, it's amazing! It, it it's fun to see where your original creation goes next, and it lives many lives beyond the ones that you imagined. It does,
1: is, and, and, it, and, and I'm handing <laughs> over the reins again, right? So, yeah, it's going to be well, fun. to so and
0: so, so, you, so people yeah. who
1: are listening to this, I'm, i I'm just uh, you can Google um, NYU data literacy and evidence building, and you can see mm-hmm. how to register for the class. It's twenty five hundred dollars if your state, federal, if your state or local government. It's six thousand if you're not, and and the the details are kind of on the website, and more will be coming as we're uh, working through this. It's focusing in on education to workforce outcomes as the real world example, uh, but then if you're with a university or. Uh, a, a state, local, or federal agency that's interested in getting involved more deeply rather than just taking the class, uh, please do reach out to me and I'll be happy to chat and connect you with the right people. Sorry. I Absolutely. You
0: yeah. Oh, no, that's fine. You hit right into the transition question I was going to ask anyway, which is how do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? I will post all of your contact info on on LinkedIn when we publish this podcast. So, Julia, you already mentioned, you know, how people get in touch with you, but where are you going next, you know, and, and kind of closing out? What what comes next?
1: Well, uh, the, my email address is julia.lane at NYU.edu. I am very much hoping that this uh, executive certificate proves a success from a, a sustainable business model approach. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, NYU, UMD, the National Association of Public Policy Schools (NASPA). All of the information is, and the syllabi and so on are, are, are accessible and usable. So I'm hoping that a, a national ag extension program gets built out of that, and so the strategy is 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 to move it in that direction. There's no reason for that not to happen. So I'm I'm optimistic. Um, I'm doing a couple of other things, of course, that you know about. One is I talked about creating the secure environment at the College Initiative, mm-hmm. the Administrative Data Research Facility. So check, right? The second yeah. is create value out of it. Check. The third one, though, was as people started working with the data, they were coming to me and saying, well, who else has worked with this? What can we build on? And I'm like... Well, I can tell you who I know, but I am blinded by my age and race and sex and class and you know. <laughs> so there's no way I can know who else has worked on mm-hmm. on these data. So that there's a lot of repetition that's done.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: code doesn't scale and it's not replicable and reproducible and so on. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we had an Amazon.com for data? Wouldn't it be cool if You know, when I go on to Amazon.com, it used to be 20 years ago or 30 years ago when I went in, if I wanted to find out who had been writing on a particular topic, I'd have to go to the bookstore and there'd be an old person behind the bookstore and I'd say, (laughs) who else has written books on topic X? And then they'd walk you down and they'd show you to the books. And what Bezos did was he figured out we can crowdsource, we can build a, a knowledge infrastructure around books, mm-hmm. which didn't just describe how books are produced, the ISBN number, the author, the title, but how they're used. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought, can't we build a data infrastructure about how data are being used? And by the way, Title II of the Evidence Acts mandates that agencies put on their website information about Data usage. Right. So that's the other piece that I've been doing. It's called democratizing data. The information's on democratizingdata.ai. So effectively, we've been building machine learning, natural language processing models to read 80 million publications and find out how data sets are being cited. Mm. Once you've got a data set publication dyad, you have all the information about the authors, the institutions, and so on. So uh, my my colleague in crime continues to be Nancy Potock on this, and we pulled in <laughs> Johns Hopkins and Elsevier and you know Texas Advanced Computing Center and your home state of Texas. So that's what we're that's what we're pushing forward on. Building an Amazon.com for data so that if I want to see what data sets have been used to look at climate change, for example, mm-hmm. or different agricultural techniques, there it pulls up and I can find out who else has worked with it and what institutions they're in. So if you go onto that site, you'll see some dashboards, that uh, preliminary dashboards that, that use that.
0: Well, Julia, I th- think that is going to have to be a future topic because that couldn't be more of a a a bigger goal. For, um, I don't know about more of a bigger. That that sounds a terrible way to say that. But it is.
1: I'm going to have to teach you how to speak English.
0: i uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you take take pity on the poor Texan here, right? <laughs> but it is the 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 summit that many people want to reach, even if they don't know it's the summit that they need to reach, and that. I produce all this analytical content, I produce information, I inform people. How is that being used? Exactly. We have solved that in a marketing scenario, right? Like we know how to do this because we capture the customer's decision points, partly because it's easier. But there's harder questions, right, Like where I, I look at this information and I make policy decisions. I look at this information and I make company direction decisions. Where is that input captured? So the metadata about who's using it and what decisions are being made, that can then feed back into, well, did I have enough? Like what was missing when I made that decision?
1: And then how do you create incentives, right? I'm an economist. So how do you create mm -hmm. incentives for people to contribute that information? And putting your name in lights is the way to go. So the second thing, I just want to tell you this other piece I'm doing is... You know, there's been a lot of investments that the federal government is doing with chips and science. Mm -hmm. It's really in AI and quantum computing and synthetic biology and so on. And the argument has been, um, oh, and obviously semiconductor research. And the argument has been, this is going to create jobs and high high quality jobs and stimulate the economy. Where's the evidence for that? How are you defining AI? I was on the National AI Task Force, Research Resources Mm -hmm. Task Force. How are you defining AI and how do you know the jobs and how do you know the earnings? Because AI and quantum computing and synthetic biology, they're neither scientific fields nor are they industries. So we Mm -hmm. don't have a data infrastructure to measure that impact. So... That's this. Yeah. That's the other area <laughs> that I'm charging ahead on. So I'm
0: well, having a lot uh, of fun. Yeah, no, it it it's um, the fun never stops, right? Um, no, no rest for the wicked. So it is a there's a lot of the uh, very interesting avenues that you're going down, and so I know we were all going to have fun right. keeping track of what you're working on and and talking again in the future on what you're working on. But I thank you so much for being a part of our program today, Julia. It's been a very fun discussion.
1: As they say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And that's absolutely (laughs) true. So thank you very much for having me. And I hope people reach out about the data literacy and evidence-building credit class.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much. Bye, Sid.
0: Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture changemakers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening.